This is episode 29 of One Page at a Time, bringing out the best in princesses and superheroes with Dr. Sarah Coyne. In this episode, we talk about how Dr. Coyne began her studies on princesses and superheroes, what some of the results of her studies have been, some of the good messages and attributes we can find in these stories, and how we can help children see beyond the superficial aspects of their beloved characters and stories. Also, just a reminder that this is an interview we recorded before COVID-19 interrupted all of our lives. So if we talk about the world the way it was before everything shut down, that's why. This is Jill in Virginia. And Amanda in Dubai. We are here to help you read more often. Read at home. Read at school. Read with your kids. Read with your spouse. Read aloud. Read faster. Just read. We dig through the data, gather the anecdotes, and chat with the experts who can tell you why and how you should make books a bigger part of your life. We're on this journey along with you, bringing people and reading together, one page at a time. An expert on media use in families and a mother, today's guest has quite a few research articles to her name, many of which have delightfully playful titles that I particularly enjoyed skimming through. She's a director at the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University, where she delves into studying gender, body image, children, and adolescents. It was her three-year-old daughter that asked her if she was too fat that triggered her research into Disney princess culture, which resulted in what may be the single study that has changed her parenting more than any other and is partly what we will be talking about today. We're thrilled today to have with us Dr. Sarah Coyne. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Well, I've been very excited and I guess you may even say giddy to talk to you about how your research on superheroes and Disney princesses may apply to books. So before we get to the book part, though, can you give us a little background on the studies you've conducted, perhaps starting with superheroes? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, it actually starts with princesses. (laughs) So maybe I can tell you the background. You touched upon it, but we were at the Seattle Space Needle, right? My daughter, who's 12 years old now, she was three at the time, and she came up to me and said, Mom, do you think I'm too fat? And I was like, what? Like, where is this coming from? I feel like we're really careful about what we say to our kids. And I thought, oh my gosh, I got to start studying body image because this was kind of my first experience with it. And so I got interested in the topic and I was at a conference on gender development and a woman named Peggy Orenstein was a speaker there. And she wrote this book called Cinderella Ate My Daughter. And it talks about how all of girls' problems, you know, with body image or sexualization or with relationships really stem from our experiences with Disney princesses. And I'm sitting with there. Um, I just had this experience with Hannah. She loved Disney Princess at the time. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm destroying my daughter. What's going on here? <laughs> and Peggy said, I don't really have any research to back me up here in terms of scientific studies. And I thought, well, that's what I do for my job. So I think I'll do a study on Disney princesses. And then I wanted to have something else for the boys to do as well. And I thought, what's the equivalent of princesses for four-year-old boys? And it's superheroes, right? So superheroes are all over the place. And so that was kind of the impetus of looking at the impact of princess and superhero culture on young children. Ah, interesting. So you've done multiple studies with superheroes and Disney princesses. And what have you found throughout these studies? Sure, yeah. So for the the princesses, we found that heavy engagement with princess culture at age four tends to predict heightened gender stereotypes at age five for girls. And 
kind of in, in real speak. What that means is that for girls, if I'm really into princesses, then I'm a little bit more girly, right, the next year. So kind of really adhere to those gender stereotypes. For the superhero stuff, we found really similar, right? So boys who are really into superheroes tended to be more gender stereotype in the masculine way the next year. So kind of learning what it means to be a man through watching superheroes. Uh, they were also more aggressive and less pro-social, more likely to play with weapons and so on. Wow, yeah. In one article that I was reading through, it really kind of hit me kind of in the face that it said that Disney films have been repeatedly criticized for containing aggression, portraying women in gender type roles, underrepresenting the role of mothers, portraying the elderly in a negative manner, feeding the stereotype that attractiveness is a synonymous with goodness, and that bad behaviors are demonized. And that's a pretty hefty list there <laughs> things that Disney films might contain and then the superheroes finding that increased aggression in these young kids something that was really interesting is that was stated in a in a different paper was that superhero movies you know like Spider-Man or Batman are extremely popular with preschool children although they're not necessarily targeted toward them I thought that was really interesting do you have any opinions on whether or not we should be I guess showing these videos or movies to our young kids yeah sure yeah so you mentioned a lot of the criticisms with both the princess and superhero genres and I've thought a lot about these both <laughs> over the years and I think that princesses in particular are changing in some really important ways so when you compare the princesses of today to say Snow White which was released in 1930 or Cinderella which I was I think is 1950s they're vastly different princesses and so in terms of, of gender stereotypes and focus only on relationships or beauty I think we're getting better with time although we're definitely still not kind of where it needs to be. We're getting better. I do think that watching princess movies, playing with princess toys can be a really healthy activity for young girls. And it's related to heightened sociodramatic play, which is like pretend play, which is really important for child development. And there's all these beautiful themes that are mentioned in the princess movies, like loyalty or defending your family members or following your dreams or how to work really hard and not give up when people are mean to you. You know, so there's all these powerful messages for young children that I think if we focused it, focused on those messages and we talked about uh, those themes, we would do a lot better than generally focusing on, on appearance or how pretty they are, which is sometimes what we do. For the superhero genre, it's totally different because superheroes generally are not made for young children like you mentioned. So most of the programs are PG-13 or rated R. And so I'm always surprised when I, I'll go see like Avengers or something, I'll turn around, there's like these four or five-year-old little kids right behind me because they're not made for young children, but they're really, really popular. And so I would say to avoid particularly the movies at a really young age, because you're right, you know, the little kids just kind of pick up on all the violence that they're seeing. It's flashy, it's bright, it's nonstop. And so it's hard to really get into some of the other themes of the movies because it's just not made for their age. There are superhero programs that are made for younger children that have actually shown really good developmental outcomes. So Super Y was a program from on PBS, which was these superheroes and their power was the power to read, which, which you'll love from this podcast, right? Which is yes. like what you're all about. Um, and so, and there's been some study specifically on that program. Although it's a superhero show, it's really positive and children who watch that show regularly had all these kind of educational advances in terms of reading and children who watch different shows. So it really kind of depends is, is a short answer to what you said. Right. So it sounds like if 
parents are proactive and very intentional with the way that they view the media, then princesses and superheroes, you know, it it might be beneficial to the family. Is that right? Absolutely. And and our princess study actually showed that for boys, if their parents were talking to them a lot about princess culture, right, boys who, who watched it, they tended to be more pro-social, had better body image than other boys, right? And so there seemed to be this interaction there. Wow, that's interesting. How can we start these discussions? And now we're going to move into the book section. How can we start these discussions and how can we kind of focus on the good that's in Disney princess stories and narratives and the character strengths from superheroes, Disney princesses, these these really strong figures in our preschoolers' lives? We do that with books. So there's been a lot less research on books as related to, say, princesses and super- superheroes in particular. But what I love about books is how interactive they are. So right, if you're going to read, say, the story of Moana or watch the movie Moana, if you're reading a, a book to a child, like you have to take an active role in there. Like it's your voice that's telling the story or your child is reading and you, maybe you're helping them with words and then you have a real opportunity to then provide some commentary on what's going on uh, without it really impacting the rest of the story, right? So if you're watching a movie, it's hard to like pause it and be like, okay, let's talk about what's going on here. But a book, it feels more natural to be able to do that. You're often really, you know, snuggled up close to your kid. And so it's it's a really beautiful opportunity to be able to talk about some of those good themes that we find in princess movies as opposed to watching a movie. So often when we put a movie on for our kids, it's usually kind of sometimes can be a babysitter. We're trying to get something else done. And so we're not nearly as involved with the story, with the interaction with our child is when we're reading them a book. I resort to TV babysitting sometimes. Me too. No, me too. But I I know that when I do it, I'm not going to have, it's less likely I'll have a good interaction with my child. Not to say you can't, because there's all this research to suggest that, you know, that you certainly can have those experiences perhaps after the movie's ended or, or, or whatever. And I've had great experiences with my kids over movies, but I truly do believe I've had better ones over books. I, I just love books. Right. One of the things that I'm thinking about right now is the conversation that I had with my five-year-old daughter in the car the other day. And we have gotten into a Frozen 2 obsession in our household. Nice one. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope that Elsa is better than Snow White I, on the sliding <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> scale there. <laughs> but we're reading the books that have come out with, with Frozen 2. And we read books in the car on the way to and from school. And she was reading the story and she mentioned that she loves Elsa and she wants to be like Elsa. And I said, okay, well, why? You know, why do you want to be like Elsa? And she said, I love her hair. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, that's interesting. So if we're presented with a question like that, where our child is connecting to something that's superficial in a superhero, or in a Disney princess, how can we dear that narrative away? Can you maybe think of, this is kind of putting you on the spot, but can you think of a situation where you have a book with your child and you can kind of walk us through what that might look like? Sure, yeah. So first of all, I want to validate your experiences. So my son's actually obsessed with Frozen. He's six. He says the same thing. His favorite is Elsa, why? Because she's got white hair just like me, right? So same exact thing. <laughs> and and we did a research study where we asked kids who your favorite princess was and why. The number one answer was image. So 
because they like the dress or the hair, followed closely by merchandise, because I have the doll. It was only like 4% of kids said, I like this particular princess because of some interpersonal characteristic or skill. So what you're describing, I think, is really, really common. And then as a parent, I think that you have an exceptional opportunity to then really get into the depth of the character. So for example, something that I love about Elsa is the perseverance that she shows. And, and this is really beautifully done in Frozen 2. So the part where she needs to cross the sea and she keeps getting knocked down over and over and over again. And she just keeps trying, right? And she doesn't give up. It's so beautifully done and such a powerful message of perseverance. That's something in particular that I talked about with my son, who frankly struggles with perseverance, right? And who often gives up. It's too hard. I'm not doing it. And so that's something that I can say, hey, you know, Elsa is somebody who always tries her hardest and she doesn't give up and she just keeps going even when she gets literally knocked on her butt, right? And so that's a beautiful opportunity you can take with the book or with the movie with these princess stories to be able to apply it to your kid's life and to teach them, again, some of the depth and beautiful characteristics from some of these princesses. Wonderful and so true. (laughs) So true. So let's take it now with superheroes. And if you imagine that your child is very attached to a superhero, we can just throw out Spider-Man as as an example. And you've noticed that he is becoming more aggressive or he's not able to sit still so much. How might one kind of counter this? Either using book culture, you know, reading and taking your child in your lab, cuddling with him if he doesn't want to do that, he's trying to get away, he's trying to kick you or push you or whatever, or by using a book itself. That's a great question. So I think that books about superheroes are a great way to get, say, for example, a boy who doesn't love to read, interested in reading, right? So you can take a a story about Spider-Man, hey, let's read this together, and and they might be more interested in reading it and sitting down and focusing than perhaps a different type of book. And so I think just as a tool, it's a great opportunity to do that. Your question about aggression is a tricky one, right? Because Spider-Man is, like most of the superheroes, highly aggressive. And so what I try to focus on, perhaps more of the defending behavior, you know, hey, he is at its heart, right? Spider-Man is trying to help people who are in trouble. But if you don't have superpowers, which you don't, right? If you hit somebody in the face, you're going to get in big trouble, right? With your school, with your mom, with whoever. And so trying to find other examples of defenders in the media to provide a contrast. And books and media are full of, of other examples of what you can do if you're being bullied or if you see somebody being bullied, right? So there's a whole line of books specifically focused in on bullying, So one of my favorite books on this topic is called One. I think it's by Catherine Otashi, I think is how you say your name. And it's a really simple book, but it talks so well about what to do when you're being bullied and when you see someone else being bullied, how do you effectively be a defender, but not an aggressive one, where we're often seeing in the superheroes. So really being active in terms of the books that you're choosing to read to your children, finding ones that are more aggressive in nature to provide a contrast, I think is important. I know that some of your other research has dealt with aggression in adolescent literature. Mm -hmm. Is there an age that is appropriate to start introducing aggressive superheroes to our children through books? Oh, sure. Yeah. I think that an early age is just fine. And then it just, you have an opportunity then to shape the message. So aggression happens 
all the time, right? So they're probably going to be exposed to it at school, in their neighborhood. And so conversations about aggression are important. So you can use books or movies as a tool to be able to give your child the necessary skills to know how to deal with aggression, either aimed at themselves or if they're witnessing it. And again, you're not going to find like the perfect book or the perfect whatever. Superheroes can be a nice kind of segue in there. I mean, the villains are terribly aggressive, right? They never win. (laughs) And so you can kind of talk about that. But then also, hey, he's using this aggression. What would happen to you if you were going to do this at your school? You know, what do you think would be the consequences of that in real life? And so I'm not a big fan of banning things just flat out. I really believe that media can be such a valuable tool in all sorts of different ways. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Coyne. Is there anything that you think we missed that we should go back and cover? I don't think so. (laughs) Right. Where can we find out more about you and your research? Sure. Uh, So I have a website. It's sarahmcoyne.com. It's new, so it's not heavily populated, but something I've been working on is a social media curriculum aimed at fifth to eighth graders, specifically for parents and teachers to use about how to use social media in healthy and effective ways. So a little bit older, right, than the audience that we've talked about mostly today. But my main message is, again, media is just a tool and you can use a tool for both good or evil. So like you can use a hammer to build a house or to kill somebody, right? And so media, books, television is just the same way. And so I think teaching our children how to use media as effective tools, tools for good, tools to uplift, to grow, to strengthen is what this thing is all about. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Coyne, for your time. And thank you for your research as well. It's very fun to go through all of your many publications. (laughs) I've enjoyed myself the last few weeks. (laughs) So thank you for that. Thanks for reading them. That's really nice of you. (laughs) You never know if anyone's going to read it. So I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your program. I really enjoyed it. I have to be honest. I was extremely wary about this interview as Amanda and I prepped and talked about it beforehand. I grew up with five sisters and no brothers and princesses Disney and others were a huge part of my childhood. It wasn't perfect, but I loved my growing up years and I am fiercely loyal to my parents and my family. So I really had to work to keep an open mind about what Dr. Coyne had to say. So knowing that background, you can see why I was very pleased and even relieved to come out of our conversation with her feeling encouraged and supported as a parent of young kids rather than attacked or looked down on. Yeah, and I don't think you're alone with that feeling. I think that our generation especially is the generation that really grew up with the Disney princess movies. So it was a big, especially if you're from the US, I, yeah, it's a big thing. But I will also be honest, (laughs) I was thrilled about this interview from the (laughs) get-go. I shared Jill's love of Disney princesses growing up, but as I got older and started to recognize and hear about the negative plot lines, nuances in the movies and characters, I studied anthropology <laughs> for my bachelor's. I I ended up listing toward complete abolishment and avoidance of branded princesses and pretty much all branded characters, to be honest, until my daughter was in school with other little girls who all knew about Frozen. And one time watching that movie, 
my girls were hooked. I went through the stage of nail biting when I was reading Dr. Coyne's research, wading through the other plentiful opinions and media out there, like the Freakonomics episode she appeared on. But but Dr. Coyne brings up in this interview with us what I think often gets neglected in the ending credits as the more flashy princess and superhero condemnation takes the main storyline, that princesses and superheroes are like any characters. There are good traits, there are bad traits, good themes and bad themes. You get to choose what you focus on and how you talk about it. And I really appreciate what she says regarding the ability to really slow down and bring out the points you want your child or you yourself, since you may also be a princess or superhero fan, (laughs) to glean from these movies and books. Exactly. And I was probably most encouraged by the idea of using these superheroes princesses or really any other character or book type that maybe you don't think are the most deep or impactful to start conversations with your kids. My four-year-old daughter has been very into checking out Ponyville books from the library lately, which to be honest, just are not my thing, but she loves them and she gets so excited by them and I had to find a way to connect with her over them or I was going to go crazy one My Little Pony book at a time. Like they're just, they're never ending. But she has a fantastic imagination. And like them or not, My Little Ponies live in a world full of imagination. So we get to talk about that together. She also gets really delighted when I tell her about playing with My Little Ponies when I was her age. And I actually had to go look up pictures of toys from the 90s online and show them to her because she didn't believe me at first that they were around when I was her age. So it's all been a great lesson to me that these kinds of books that might not seem like much on the surface can still be used to connect with and maybe even teach my kids. It's funny you mentioned My Little Pony since I recently read a social media post that a parent called the show trash (laughs) as far as educating. Oh, poor My Little Pony. I know, right? I got a little bit irked, honestly. I do believe there are things that should not be in the shows and books that our children and we ourselves consume. And every family, every person has their own list of what those things are for themselves. I agree that all movies and especially those and shows and and books and especially those made for teenagers and adults like the superhero films should be really carefully censored for, you know, a four-year-old or a toddler or just any young kid. But I also agree with your view, Jill, of My Little Pony. We can connect with our children over so many different aspects of a show or a book that it becomes a personal choice. And all the better if I can point out something in a book that a much beloved character is doing that I want to reinforce in my home because my child is much more likely to take that and run with it or gallop with it if we're talking about ponies. (laughs) Which we are and will continue to do until my daughter loses interest. There is also, I think, the other side of the coin, where we want to reinforce some things these characters do and the way they are. We can also use this opportunity to point out the fallibility of them as well. This can be a crucial part of the conversation, I think, that superheroes and princesses are not perfect, and neither are any of us. So at the same time that we point fingers at screenwriters and the book authors, we can also direct attention to this truth that some people really are like that, everyone has flaws, and in some cases, Some people don't even agree with us about what is right or wrong. I mean, it really, it depends how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, but you can even extend this beyond the book itself and get pretty deep into objectification, media, advertising, and all sorts of other societal issues in addition to personality traits that we face every day 
that produces these books and movies in the first place. So Dr. Coyne has done some fantastic research over the years, and we mostly talked to her about princesses and superhero studies. My interest was very much piqued when she mentioned the social media curriculum that she has on her website. And I have already sent the link to a couple of my sisters, one who's about to start teaching middle school and another whose two oldest kids are in middle school. She is so absolutely right. Media, which definitely includes books, is just a tool. And it's up to us as the adults in the kids' lives to teach them that and help them learn ways to use that media to enrich their lives. I felt very empowered as a parent when she said that. And it definitely made me less frightened of all the things I feel like I need to protect my kids from, such as My Little Pony, apparently. (laughs) Which is funny because My Little Pony, as you said, you know, was something that we also played with as as kids and the Disney princesses just keep coming. It's cyclical in nature, but it really is a tool, you know, and a powerful one at that. And after talking with Dr. Coyne, I have had no shame in the princess books we have, even the ones with the older characters from more outdated movies. And I mean, honestly, since I've been looking for it, I have seen Disney has been producing books that I approve of with a focus on the wholesome and good that I fell in love with in The Princesses when I was young. Even our Leapstart book of princesses is about characters' loyalty, wisdom, integrity, creativity. And this interview has definitely helped me read with a critical eye, watching for themes I support with the characters my children love. And we're now better connecting with emotions and emotional intelligence, talents, traits, influence of others, consequences, all while our kids are thrilled to be talking and reading about, you know, Paw Patrol and Elsa. So we've talked a lot about ponies and princesses, maybe because they are near and dear to ourselves, but we definitely did not forget about the superheroes. Jill and I felt that there are plenty of great books for the princess and superhero lovers in our lives, so we created a book list of some of our favorites. You can find those recommendations along with some of the values we have highlighted from them in our families at our website. Check them out at one, spelled out O-N-E, pagepodcast.com, and find us at our Instagram account as well to share your favorite princess and superhero books. We would love to hear the conversations you're having with your families about these beloved characters as well. Thanks for listening. Talk with you again next week.